You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Margreta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is boom times for mining are just around the bend, and how recent deals and approvals are only the start of benefit for Canada's economy, workers, and local communities. Margreta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great to be here. Good morning, I'm Karen. Right off the bat, Margreta, please get us up to speed on what's happening globally right now to drive demand for minerals and metals and how Canada fits into the picture. As I might have mentioned a couple of times on past shows, or maybe more than a couple of times, minerals and metals are fairly essential commodities that uh, drive and enable everyday life. And I would just challenge everyone to look around themselves, unless you're currently in the wilderness. I'm not sure how you'd be listening to the show, but if you were there without any clothes or supplies, I, you know, and unless you're in that situation, everything you use is made from or made by uh, products that use massive amounts of things that have been mined. And, of course, our current global energy system relies pretty heavily on fossil fuels. Of course, coal, oil, and gas are the foundation of every modern comfort we enjoy today, uh, you know, just like mining is in a similar vein. And uh, the fact that people from all walks of life around the world today can enjoy warmth, good nutrition, freedom of movement, protection from preventable illness and disease. Uh, but we also know that these products, when they're burned for energy, uh, produce carbon that enters the atmosphere. Eight billion people alive today and billions of people who have lived uh, between the start of the industrial era and this century have actually relied on these products for heating, electricity generation, cooking, transportation, and the production of materials like plastics, cement, asphalt, steel, fertilizer. And if you add up all of the emissions that are produced uh, with these processes, um, you end up with uh, a rapidly spiking amount of carbon in the Earth's atmosphere over the last 200 years uh, that has caused and is currently causing further climate change. More carbon in the atmosphere increases the greenhouse gas effect, and that does warm the planet at a rate that uh, actually exceeds anything in pre-modern human history. And we know that this uh, climate system change is already wreaking havoc. Uh, Although we need to invest pretty massively in adapting to this change, mitigating the emissions in the first place is an essential step. And governments around the world have committed to fairly aggressive decarbonization targets to reduce the amount of carbon that enters the atmosphere as our economies and societies continue to grow. And one of the ways we do this is by electrifying our energy systems, as well as switching to lower emissions fuels like natural gas and hydrogen. Uh, There is, of course, uh, kind of a limit to how quickly we can electrify, and uh, that's affordability and human security. And if you pull the plug on modernity, uh, well, it's not really a realistic solution. People need to be fed, uh, goods and humans need to move around the world, and we need energy in every aspect of our everyday lives. So in order to electrify, you actually need massive amounts of these minerals and metals that are already everywhere in every system and every process that we have. Uh, In order to electrify, uh, you need to have building materials, Uh, from minerals and metals, uh, from the machines that generate electricity through wind, hydro, solar, nuclear, uh, as well as if you're using biomass like wood pellets or natural gas, all the way through to the infrastructure that carries this energy to consumers uh, across both land and sea. And uh, the machines that consume energy, like an electric car, need lots and lots of minerals and metals as well. And far, far more than is currently produced in a given year uh, is needed, even though global mining is already a massive industry. We're actually today producing more minerals and metals than we ever have in human history. And that needs to grow massively if we want to meet these necessary but incredibly 
incredibly ambitious emissions reduction goals. Uh, Canada's federal government has identified 31 critical minerals that are essential for our country's economic security and our transition and the world's transition to a low-carbon future. And British Columbia specifically is rich in many of these critical minerals, including things like copper, nickel, cobalt, and lots of rare earth elements. You wanted to get us up to speed on this morning's news from the sector. Tell us about that. Well, here's a BC story in a pretty important way. Earlier this morning, one of Canada's biggest mining companies said that it's actually buying a copper mine near Princeton, British Columbia, that produces enough copper to equip about 550,000 electric vehicles every year. And another reminder, of course, of how important a mining location BC is. Overall, we produce enough copper to build over 4 million new electric vehicles a year. And the drive towards net zero carbon emissions by 2050, which we're currently in the midst of, is, as I said, uh, triggering a significant increase in demand for minerals like lithium and cobalt, as well as copper, which uh, is sometimes called the metal of electrification. Um, You know, international organizations like the IMF uh, have actually warned that this unprecedented demand uh, could lead to things like price spikes that either delay or even derail uh, the pace of energy transition. Um, So translating the 2050 net zero goals um, into equipment, the materials, and the technologies that we need uh, needs a doubling of copper uh, to meet our needs by the mid-2030s, and that's according to a recent S&P Global study. And uh, currently, uh, the world's copper production, although BC does have some fairly large reserves, is heavily concentrated uh, geographically, with about 40% of global output coming from the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. Uh, So that actually makes it a little bit challenging to obtain all the materials needed for electric cars. And I think this is an important reminder that as we're, uh, you know, scaling up Big Shovel, as a commentator uh, recently called it, in the competition with Big Oil, uh, mining really needs to ramp up. And uh, political instability in some of the countries that are currently uh, major producers could actually hinder the process of obtaining these minerals. Uh, So BC really has an opportunity to shine and not only supply our needs, but uh, the world as a whole. You've also previously mentioned that a legal process is currently underway regarding how mineral claims are made in this province. What's the latest and how might it affect mining in B.C.? Yeah, in legal proceedings that are taking place actually as we speak, uh, British Columbia system for awarding mineral rights is being challenged uh, at the B.C. Supreme Court it's a judicial review. Uh, there were two cases that were combined, uh, brought by the Gitsala and the Ahataset First Nations, um, and they're arguing that the system of awarding mining claims under the Mineral Tenure Act uh, violates the provincial government's legal obligation to seek free, prior, and informed consent uh, before allowing development within the traditional territories of Indigenous peoples. And uh, currently, the province approves thousands of mineral stakes every year through a free entry mineral claim process, and that's designed to encourage mineral exploration across much of the province. Sometimes you know where the things you need to mine are. Uh, a lot of Time, you actually don't. So you need to engage in a continual process of discovery. And um, the current system that we have has enabled a lot of that to take place in BC. Um, and, you know, everyone from Canadian corporations or individuals can just go online and file a claim. And for a small fee, they, they get that claim. Uh, but uh, since uh, 2019, when the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act, DRIPA, came into law in British Columbia, um, our province uh, has continued to, to grant these, uh, about an average of 7,500 uh, new claims uh, per year. 
Um, so that's effectively what's at stake here. Uh, the uh, Minister of Mines, Josie Osborne from British Columbia, has said that uh, her government has been working for the past year on a plan to uh, reform its uh, surrounding mining law uh, to make it more compliant with DRIPA, and uh, that her ministry is currently in the process of consulting with each of our province's 204 First Nations are trying to proceed. Uh, there's lots of interveners in the case, and uh, I, I believe it's uh, going to end uh, later this week. And the result of that uh, will definitely shape the development of a new system. And uh, if uh, it's not handled uh, carefully, if there's not adequate consultation and uh, you know strict attention to detail, uh, it may actually impact our ability to produce the copper that the world and Canada needs to uh, drive towards electrification and net zero. Let's take the discussion global. Margareta, what's the news in relation to resources on the world stage? Yeah, so the uh, group of seven G7 countries, um, their uh, climate and energy ministers are uh, meeting to discuss climate change measures. And uh, uh, we've heard that a draft uh, statement uh, about it is suggesting that uh, ministers may recommend new upstream investments in natural gas. Uh, in the face of the energy crisis that has been caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And, uh, of course, these uh, investments are needed to ensure that we have secure and stable gas supply, uh, like we need for uh, mining products. And uh, there has been some concern that uh, no new investments uh, are being advised by some agencies uh, if we want to get to 1.5 degrees Celsius of uh, global warming in total, um, you know, realistically, we're not going to be able to hit that target. Um, the, the world is transitioning, but uh, the pace of change is slow, and there are many things on the line. Um, so there's a lot of work to, I think, essentially get expectations uh, up to speed with the reality. Uh, and uh, that draft statement is currently being negotiated. There's some pushback. Uh, you know, European Union is not super happy with it. But uh, I did find it interesting. Japan said that it would see any commitment to new liquefied natural gas investments, uh, you know, of course, which BC is really leading right now, um, uh, as quite a win. And it calls LNG a transitional fuel to cleaner energy, uh, overall emphasizing the importance of upholding human rights, democratic values, uh, shifting where we source our energy away from Russia and the countries that don't respect, respect these principles is pretty key, uh, as we also pursue our efforts to reduce carbon emissions, promote green energy, and address climate change. Lastly, you're now in Prince George to attend the BC Council of Forest Industries Conference. What's on the agenda for today and tomorrow? Yeah, it's an exciting time, um, you know, a, t- a time of massive change. Uh, you know, mill closures uh, in the surrounding area have uh, really troubled the forestry sector for a number of uh, weeks and months, and uh, there's been job losses uh, both directly in the mills that have closed because they don't have fiber, but uh, also in the broader supply chain. Uh, you know, for every one job uh, that is in a mill, uh, three or four uh, are supported elsewhere in the supply chain, sometimes uh, fairly directly, other times fairly indirectly. Uh, but this creates the foundation of economic well-being and prosperity that uh, we all need so we can thrive and live comfortably. Um, so, you know, this year's Kofi uh, AGM is, is really diving into some of these issues. Uh, they're talking about sustainable and resilient supply chain networks. Uh, we'll be actually hearing from a number of uh, provincial ministers uh, today as well. Uh, the BC Minister of Forests, uh, the Honorable Bruce Rolston, uh, will be chatting uh, with uh, someone from Kofi. Uh, there's going to be a really interesting uh, panel uh, today with um, Nathan Cullen, who's the Minister of Water, Land, and Resource Stewardship, uh, alongside Linda Cody, uh, President and CEO of the uh, Forest Industries. 
Uh, so I'm excited to see what the provincial government is telling the sector. Um, it's been a huge hit on many communities, and the, the pressure is really on them right now to demonstrate that they're alive to the concerns, they're ready to be a partner to the industry and the transformation that is taking place, and they're ready to help the industry um, tide itself over so while uh, the deferral process around old growth is uh, still uh, fully uh, being rolled out. Um, we expect that, that is temporary in many parts, uh, but uh, the impacts, if mills close and opportunities uh, are not made available, those impacts could be permanent on communities and workers. So a lot of work ahead, but I'm really looking forward to talking to, meeting with people, and uh, also hearing what the experts have to say. Margaret, as always, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You have a wonderful weekend. You too.